You're listening to Word on Health, the report with its finger on the pulse of popular medicine with Paul Pennington. Word on Health, for your very best of health. Boosting awareness and helping to reduce stigma surrounding a range of conditions and health issues is central to what we do on our Word on Health radio series. In this section of the podcast, I want to look at two largely publicly misunderstood conditions where increased understanding really could make a big difference. Coming up, I'll be talking to Suzanne Dobson from the charity Tourette's Action. But first, it's classed by the World Health Organization as one of the 10 most debilitating health conditions and something that an estimated one 1.3 million people live with across the UK. Although awareness was recently helped by a storyline in the long-running British soap Coronation Street, it's claimed that one of the greatest challenges that people living with obsessive compulsive disorder, or OCD as it's otherwise termed, is the need to fight the all-pervasive stigma of mental health disorders and the widely held belief that OCD is a mild or even a quirky problem that is nothing more than hand-washing. Something that the charity OCD Action is trying to change. Olivia Bamber is from the charity. OCD is often used as a bit of a joke and sometimes even an adjective and that doesn't actually even make sense because you can't be a little bit obsessive compulsive disorder it doesn't make sense and for people with the condition when they hear that phrase being thrown about because somebody likes to line up their pens in colour-coded order that's actually really really debilitating for the person suffering with the condition because it's mocking what they're going through but it's also adding to the stigma and the shame around the condition and the misunderstanding and so people suffering with the condition don't know what they're going through is OCD or don't know that there's help available or don't feel comfortable going and talking about it because they think that people see it as a bit of a joke so it's really important that people don't use that phrase and that people educate themselves about what OCD actually is. So to help us all Olivia give us a definition. OCD stands for obsessive compulsive disorder and it's really helpful if you split it up into its individual parts so if you start with the O part that's the obsession so that is an unwanted intrusive thought feeling or image and it's really repetitive and it causes an awful lot of distress and anxiety. Then we move on to the C part which is the compulsion and the compulsion basically is there to reduce the anxiety caused by the original obsession. So the compulsion might be a mental or physical ritual or safety behaviour. What that does in the long run is actually fuels that original obsession and it becomes this vicious circle of obsessions and compulsions which eventually ends up as a disorder when it starts to have a big impact on your life. OCD works on a spectrum so there can be more mild forms of it and there can be more severe cases but really if you're classed as having OCD, you're classed as having the disorder, so it is having some form of impact on your life. How might it manifest itself? The sorts of things that people might experience if they are suffering with obsessive compulsive disorder is intrusive thoughts, possibly about the fear of causing harm to someone, the fear of becoming ill, the fear of something not being safe or being unsafe. Now, the thoughts are always distressing and they always revolve around our worst fears. So actually, common intrusive thoughts are really taboo subjects like things like causing harm or maybe acting sexually inappropriate or religious or blasphemous thoughts. There's this common misconception that OCD is just about cleaning or is just about being neat and tidy and that's actually not the case at all. It all revolves around these awful intrusive thoughts and then the rituals, which are mental or physical, that you carry out in order to get rid of the thoughts, which might be things like reassurance-seeking, avoidance behaviours, extreme washing or cleaning, checking of certain objects to make sure they're safe or hoarding. There's lots of different ways that OCD can manifest itself, but it really revolves around that intrusive thought first. 
And this is something you're extremely familiar with, isn't it? I've lived with OCD for a number of years, started showing symptoms when I was around seven or eight. They weren't severe, they weren't impacting on my life. Over the years, that started to progress. And in my early 20s, when I was at university, I really struggled because of how consuming OCD had become. For years, I went for different therapies, but I was very resistant to it. It was the only when I was self-referred for therapy. and was like, this is the time I'm going to tackle it. I am going to get better now. And that's when it really got better for me. So there is really good help available. So talk me through the treatments. There's two recommended treatments for OCD. They're cognitive behavioural therapy and medication. And together, or sometimes on their own, they can have a really huge impact on improving your life. That's Olivia Bamba from the charity OCD Action. To find out more about the organisation, visit our website, www.wordandhealth.com. That's www.wordandhealth.com. Now, it's been described as the last health stigma standing, with claims that almost universally people with Tourette's syndrome are outside society, possessed, unpredictable, aggressive, violent bundles of energy, which is so far from the truth, it's unbelievable. I caught up with the chief executive of the charity Tourette's Action at a recent event. I started by asking her about the misconceptions surrounding Tourette's and how they, as a charity, work to defeat stigma. The big thing people understand about Tourette's is everybody with Tourette's swears uncontrollably. Wrong. Only 10% of people have coprolalia, which is the special form of Tourette's. The second thing that people think is that Tourette's enables you to speak your mind without being able to filter it. Well, Tourette's isn't like that. And actually, the things that people with Tourette's say, be they humorous or abusive or just completely left field, they don't know what words are going to come out of their mouths. Actually, often when the words leave the child or the adult, they're devastated by what they've just said. We think the best route to overcoming stigma is to always be educating people. We take part in almost any media or television opportunity we get. We've sent postcards into every GP's surgery. We've done podcasts for GPs. We use social media. We use Twitter. We've got Facebook pages and forums. We've got groups all around the country. So it's every opportunity to talk about Tourette's as it really is. Which begged the question... What really is it? Tourette's syndrome is a neurological condition characterised by motor and vocal tics. So that's a movement, be it very small like a shrug or hugely complex like leaping in the air and twirling round. And a vocal tic which might be as simple as a sniff and it might be as complex as saying whole words and sentences. And both have to be present for at least a year to get a diagnosis of Tourette's. There's no blood test or x-ray that will diagnose Tourette's. 1% of school-age children have Tourette's, a good 50% of that 1% will have it so mildly that you probably wouldn't notice and it wouldn't really affect your life. For the other half, it's varying degrees. And then right up at the very severe end, lasting into adulthood, you're perhaps looking at 20, 25,000 in the UK. There is no drug bespoke for Tourette's. Cognitive behaviour therapies are by far the best treatment for the management of symptoms. My thanks to Suzanne Dobson. You can find Find links to Tourette's Action through the wordonhealth.com website. And finally, in the pilot, I spoke to Jenny Ward from the charity Lullaby Trust about sudden infant death syndrome and the achievements of the charity in contributing to an 82% drop in the numbers of infant deaths. Sadly, as we heard, four babies die each week from SIDS. I had a couple of emails after the interview asking me as a professional communication coach for advice on how to support grieving and bereaved parents. It's, it's not an area I'm skilled in, but it's something that my final guest is.
She is Jennifer Reed and co-founder of the charity Teddy's Wish. Jennifer, welcome. Talk me through what motivated you to set up the charity and what the organisation does. Very, very sadly and tragically, my husband Chris and I lost our first baby boy, Eddie, when he was only three months old. And on every medical test possible, Eddie was perfectly healthy. And we were left with no reason or attributable cause as to why he left us. And really out of this desperate need to understand why and to search for answers, we decided to set up the charity Teddy's Wish because our fundamental belief is that no parent should ever suffer the loss of a child. And so Teddy's Wish was born just three months after we lost Eddie in July 2014. And in the early days of the charity, we just felt that SIDS was something that we we were going to prioritise. But actually, on our grief journey, we met other bereaved parents that had tragically lost their baby too. And it, it wasn't just SIDS, it was neonatal death, it was stillbirth. And we, we quickly realized that SIDS was just one form of baby loss. And we just thought we couldn't prioritize our loss over any other loss, which is why we actually extended the charity to cover SIDS, neonatal death and stillbirth. We've been running now for just over five years. We have funded multiple research projects and we also provide funding for bereavement support services. Grief can be a very isolating process and I think losing a child even more so, it's very hard to make sense of the world around you. Bereavement support is so critical in giving those families hope again and sadly we're not going to get the answers to baby loss overnight and more and more families continue to get devastated by the loss of a child and those families need support. What support were you provided when you started your grief journey? We had initial support by the Lullaby Trust and we were very fortunate that we also had a wonderful counsellor who is actually now the patron of our charity, Jenny Thomas, and we had support from our friends and family, but we recognise that not every family is quite so fortunate and not everyone gets access to the same level of support. So that's why we were so passionate about being able to provide that support for other families because, as I said, we recognise that not everyone gets access to it. I understand to assist people unsure of how to communicate and support bereaved parents, you and your members have put together a code to help called the Be There Code. Talk us through it. It's really important that friends and family say their name because for us it gives that baby recognition and validation that he or she was here. One of the reasons why I set the charity up with Chris is that it allowed us to continue to talk about Eddie in, in a very meaningful and positive way and I think people are very scared to mention the baby's name because they're scared of upsetting that person that's lost the child but I think one of the most important things we can say is that do say their name. It's so important and it makes us feel better that their name is said. So that's the first thing. The other thing is lending an ear and really listening. We definitely found this in the early days. People, they want to fix you. You know, they give you advice. They say they just want to fix you. But actually, this is something that can't be fixed. And we just want people to listen and to be there. And I think the best support sometimes is just being there and listening. The other thing is talking and staying in touch. In the early weeks, we were very inundated with well-meaning messages and support. But as the weeks go on, people go back to their everyday lives. And you tend to sort of get a bit forgotten about, even just... Just a text message to say, I'm thinking of you. That can just be enough to know that people are there and they're thinking of you. The next thing is help. And so in those early days, you're so sort of overwhelmed with 
grief. You just can't. It's very hard to even function. Just by turning up with food or helping with the day-to-day jobs, it's not just about doing things. It's actually avoiding saying things that could potentially upset that parent. It can be quite upsetting for parents when people say, well, you know, things happen for a reason or, well, at least you can have another baby, as if that child can be easily replaced. And that can be exceptionally upsetting and heartbreaking for a parent to hear, which would lead on to the next point, which is replacement. So if a parent is fortunate enough to go on to have subsequent children, another baby is never a replacement for the baby that has died. And the baby that has died would always have a place in the parent's heart and would always be with them. And another child will bring hope and happiness and life back into their dark days, but it's never a replacement. And the replacement also leads into expectation because I think when parents go on to have subsequent children, it can be seen that they're okay and they've got on with their life and they're over the loss, which is not true. It's not something that you ever get over. Grief is always with bereaved parents. It changes over time, but it is always with us. And we think that's really important to let other people know that because as time moves on and life comes back into those parents' lives, potentially with other children and so forth, it's really important to to remember that that child was here and did exist. And actually remembering the anniversaries and the birthdays years years later can be so important for parents to hear that because it, it means that their child is remembered. So not just that their child existed, but their child is remembered. My grateful thanks to Jennifer Reid. If you'd like to find out more about Teddy's Wish and all the organisations featured in this podcast, they are on our website, www.wordandhealth.com. That's www.wordonhealth.com. All that remains is to thank you for listening. I look forward to your company next time. Bye for now. Word on Health. On air and online 52 weeks of the year with Paul Pennington. Word on Health. Your personal prescription for your very best of health.